This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for joining us on Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. It is the first Tuesday of the month. It is already the first Tuesday of May. Can you believe it? Which means organisational psychologist and CEO of OPSYC, Hetal Doshi, is joining us for another episode of Psychology at Work. Hetal, how are you doing? How has the month of May been treating you? Hi, Audrey. I'm really, really good. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah. So in our last episode, Hetal, we talked about doing good work, about why good work is good for you and and of course how to make work suck less and for this episode uh, episode two we're going to be shifting our focus to stress and i believe there is a magic to stress i, I love how you package all everything positively hethel <laughs> We may as well, right? Like, what's the alternative? <laughs> so, like, like how we always start, let's just talk about um, the issue, which is stress. What is stress? So, stress is, oh, so, okay, first and foremost, there's so many issues with the definition itself. There's a whole range of variations of it, mm. but this is the one that I love the most. Stress is basically an interaction between or within an individual and an external part of the environment. So it's either something that's within you that is interacting or outside of you that is interacting with you Mm -hmm. and it produces some kind of a discomfort mentally, emotionally and psychologically. So friction between uh, your internal and external conditions. It is absolutely. We don't really use the word friction yet. We use the word interaction that leads then to some kind of a discomfort. Okay. And um, since we're talking about about stress... um, is there a gauge of how much stress is good for you or at what point stress becomes bad for you? Because I know that uh, stress can also work positively uh, for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. As you said, stress definitely works positively in our favor as well, without which we wouldn't even be able to get up in the morning or do the things which are reasonably challenging. You kind of need a little bit of that interactional discomfort between us and something else and pushes us a little bit. I like to use the movie The Good, The Bad and The Ugly to express um, you know, the impact of stress. There's good, there's bad, and then there's like horribly ugly versions of stress. I don't really like to talk about stress as anything except a source of data for which we should explore all kinds of possibilities from that. Um, so there's this really wonderful psychologist uh, who talked about emotions or stress as a form of data. And then only you use that you know, to direct your behavior. So what 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 this really means is that, um, you know, organizations right now, they're really using all kinds of tools to measure the levels of stress that's going on. And because of this huge wave of mental health as, um, you know, as a source of uh, media, media um, movement, you know, media is like kind of creating this movement on why mental health is really important. Organizations are then trying to evaluate what levels of it are being experienced in the organization. But this data, right, um, it's not just about knowing a number behind it, but it's actually making sense of that particular data. So for example, I could be experiencing very high levels of stress, but that doesn't mean that it's bad for me. Um, There's this particular model that talks about uh, flourishing and languishing. So just give you a moment, like just, just give me a little bit of time to explain that. Yeah, Just because I am experiencing high levels of stress 
doesn't mean that I don't have high levels of resilience or the ability to thrive. So there are individuals in the workplace that could have very high levels of stress and also very high levels of resilience and ability to thrive in that. So these are the ones who flourish, actually. There are some people uh, in the organization who could have very high levels of stress, but then very low levels of resilience or ability to thrive. So these are the ones who probably find it a little bit more challenging. Um, and then there's this whole variation of in-between as well. So stress doesn't mean that you don't perform or that you aren't able to um, experience the best out of stress itself. So when you look at data, you have to be very, very careful um, you know, to contextualize it to that particular person. It could also be that a particular person has a very high threshold across their life. They've been experiencing it. They, you know, it's it's not a unique or a challenging circumstance to them. But if it's someone who's never experienced it before, and they then experience it for the first time in their life, the same particular situation could be extremely stressful for them. So this data is something that I think organizations are really struggling to understand. Majority of clients will call me and say, but Hito, what's the root cause of the stress? What's the root cause of the stress? We're using all these like surveys and stuff, but we still don't understand it. So um, with uh, data, there has to be a lot of sense making, meaning what does it really mean? Um, is it hurting? Is it harming? Where does it come from? The experience of stress is something that is really a point of sense making of that, yeah. Yeah. That particular experience. Is there a way to recognize that you are experiencing stress? Uh, because some people just go about it and and they realize that uh, they're behaving oddly, and it doesn't really occur to them that they are actually stressed out. Yeah. So um, in the workplace itself, right? I think I think really looking at it from a work perspective, and then you've got the individuals in the organization and. For each individual, they probably want, they, most individuals want to know how stressed out am I? You have tools like the DAS, which is the Depression Anxiety Stress Scale, mm -hmm. which is a clinically, which is a clinical tool to diagnose the level of stress that you have, specifically uh, depression and anxiety. But I really don't like individuals utilizing this mm -hmm. Why? without having a professional with you. Right, okay. And we've seen many examples where this has completely backfired. So let me give you an example. Um, so Audrey, you were saying that, you know, potentially you could be stressed out. So you could use a tool like the DAS to assess it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, if you have like a health condition, a physical health condition, you have to go to the doctor, right? You get it tested by a professional and you have a conversation with a professional to discuss what this really means, correct? Exactly. And also just looking at one part of of your body doesn't explain the entirety of your experience of a particular ache or pain, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the same thing when it comes to your emotional well-being or the levels of stress that you're experiencing, just looking at your level of depression or anxiety or stress doesn't give you, it gives you maybe a picture, but it doesn't give you a whole video of what is going on. Mm. And unfortunately, in the workplace, right, when individuals are given tools like this, so there are many providers coming in and giving individuals, or it's not really like you're giving individuals, it is available out there. But when you see masses testing themselves, right, and having conversations about it, very loose conversations where there's very little education or understanding about it, the entire organization begins to have conversations about, A, your depression high or lower? Mm. A, your anxiety high or lower? Mm. A, your stress high or lower? I mean, 
seriously, COVID-19 is here. It It is a very unique event. And obviously, everybody's level of depression, anxiety, and stress is going to be higher than normal and average. Mm. But when you assess things like this, right? So if I say, okay, start assessing whether there's a pup, the purple, it, purple as a color in your home. Just start assessing whether you have purple as a color in your home. The moment you start looking at it, the more you're going to find it around you. Of course. So what I don't like about it is that we are looking at the measure of only stress, but not in its entirety of across a period of time. We're not looking at it from a coping mechanism. We're not looking at it from a systemic point of view. And so on its own, I wouldn't be surprised that you, Audrey, are experiencing higher levels of stress. I could tell you that immediately. Mm. I could tell myself immediately that I'm having higher levels of it as well. But what does this really mean? And so I don't like uh, assessments that are purely based on current right now, mm. moments of depression, anxiety, and stress. Because if I give you an ice cream in two minutes and then I give you the assessment, <laughs> chances are your scores are going to be a little bit different because you're going to be exactly like what you did, laughing a little bit. Right. So I really do not appreciate assessments that are one-off, that are very, very focused on one particular emotion because human beings have multiple emotions coexisting and also fluctuations of it across a period of time and also coping mechanisms that actually help to elevate and utilize this potentially as possibilities of you flourishing as well. Mm. So, no, I, I, don't, I don't recommend it, um, the utilization of just stress. Right. And the utilization of it as just an individual and utilization of it over just one moment of time. All right. Now, uh, you mentioned COVID-19, right? So I have to ask, are there any statistics or data out there about... Uh, how stressed Malaysians are. Do you have any um, stats on this? Yes. Yeah, so in Malaysia, we haven't yet conducted any um, you know, evidence-based so journal publications on stress per se during the, these periods of time. But the trajectory from Malaysian Psychiatric Association, the National Health and Morbidity Survey, um, all clearly shows that there is an uptrend in depression, anxiety, and stress, which are the three major predictions or predictors of uh, mental health-related illnesses, Mm -hmm. and all of that is on the rise. In fact, between 2011 and 2017, we've had almost a threefold increase in percentage of mental health-related issues Mm. and and, uh, mental health-related illnesses is considered to be the second highest rate or level of illness, second to um, heart diseases. And this was already in 2015. And uh, the Malaysian ex-Malaysian health minister, I think Zulkifli Ahmad, in 2018 stated that 4.2 million Malaysians are already suffering from mental health-related conditions. Trajectory is definitely on the rise. Definitely on the rise. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Mm -hmm. I think, A, number one, it just shows that we are either people are reporting more of it uh, definitely because of the way that the world is, there are definitely more pressures. Yeah. But it also could mean that we are a lot more aware about it. Um, I don't see this as a bad thing. It's just data. Mm-hmm. We then need to make sense of it and do something very valuable with it. 
All right. Uh, it's already time for us to take a quick break. But when we come back, we get to the magic part about uh, stress as well as uh, hopefully Hazel will be able to tell us how to better manage stress in the workplace. All that and more coming up on Resource Center. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Behold Freedom, Malaysia, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You are listening to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj, Organisational Psychologist and CEO of Osaic. Hazel Doshi is online with me right now. It's episode two of a new series we're working on here on Resource Centre, focused on psychology at work. And this episode, it's all about stress. So Hazel, um, are there any studies that, that discuss uh, stress or, or stress in the workplace or stressful experiences at work? Yeah, absolutely. So there's so many studies. I think it's one of the most, stress is one of the most well-researched studies that you could ever find in the space of organizational psychology. It's probably like the number one thing that is is studied more than anything else. And so I think, you know, from a workplace perspective, number one, most organizations are not clear about how to even go about assessing the state of stress within the organization. Mm. And so number one, I just really like to put it out there for every client that I've worked with who are struggling to find out how to assess this, I would highly recommend that you utilize something called psychosocial uh, factors or psychosocial surveys to be able to understand what is the root cause of stress in the workplace. Mm. As I mentioned earlier, right, like stress is basically an interaction. So we don't want to just measure the rate of stress in individuals. We want to assess the rate of stress in the interactions. Mm. So number one, within the individuals. Number two, the individuals and the teams. Number two, the the whole organization itself. And so psychosocial um, tools, right, basically help you to assess the individuals, the interactions between teams Mm. and the whole organization. Mm. So I love, I love, love, love surveys that give you that full perspective even for the individuals, then the individuals can can totally understand. Ah, I th- okay. So now I understand it's my personality that is causing me to experience stress. Right. Or ah, it is the interaction between me and my boss. Or uh, number three, it's the environment of the entire organization or the environment larger than the organizations that's causing me this. Mm. So that's the number one thing that organizations don't know what to study. The second thing that is coming up is that just like how you were saying earlier, uh, Audrey, you were like, okay, how do I measure this for myself? Mm. One of the things that organizations are doing is wrong interventions or interventions that go back to the individual, that there's something wrong with the individual. Mm. So these are called secondary interventions. The organization's job is basically to make sure that it creates the best conditions for an individual to reduce all these risk factors of stress so that they can perform their best. Yeah. So it's not really it's not really Audrey, for example, who should be working very hard to make sure that she can stay resilient, but it's the organization that also has the responsibility of making sure that the environment is conducive enough for Audrey to thrive. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of organizations are just focusing on things like, oh, let's do a wellness workshop, let's create a gym, let's make sure they do yoga, let's do a one-hour talk. All of these things add pressure or create the belief. Um, that it is up to the individuals to thrive in the workplace. Mm. Whereas all research points to the fact that if organizations provide healthy enough work environments, 
you can immediately reduce the kind of stress that is being experienced in the masses. Mm. And so research suggests, number one, we don't know how to measure it. Number two, we are actually coming up with the wrong interventions. Yeah, so from a, from a research perspective, I think although organizations are doing a lot of work now to try to make sure that we're doing our best for employees, it's all going in the wrong direction. Okay, so um, say you are a leader, uh, you are a manager, you're a supervisor in your workplace. How should you approach this? How should you create that uh, environment, that safe environment, a stress-free environment for your workers? Is there such a thing as a stress-free environment? Yeah, <laughs> Let, Let's answer that one no, first. There's no, <laughs> no, there's no such thing as a stress-free environment. I always use this example of how I, Hetal, wouldn't even need anybody else around me to stress myself out. Mm. So much less another person or a team or an organization or country or community or my family. So there's no such thing as a stress-free environment. It is very natural that forces within ourselves and outside of ourselves are definitely going to be creating some kind of a compounding effect of either stress or strain on us. Mm. So no stress-free environment, but definitely, like I said earlier, utilizing all of this data and doing something extremely magical and meaningful with it. So as a leader, the first thing, what do we really want? We want healthy people, we want a healthy person, we want healthy teams, and we want healthy performance. That's what we really want, yes. right? So the, the, the most important thing is who takes responsibility for what? Um, a lot of my clients are trying to take responsibility for everything, but I think that's the wrong approach. The organization's responsibility is to create the right environment, definitely, and to make sure that relationships are healthy. Uh, the individual's responsibility is to make sure that they create the right conditions as well for other people and that they are healthy. So I think the first thing that needs to be done is to create a contract. Mm. I don't think when we shake hands, right, in organization, we're like, okay, it's like a marriage, right? We, don't, we, we often don't create the right wows. And so the individuals who blame the organization, this is the organization's responsibility. All the leaders will say, hey, hello, stress is not a bad thing. All of you should take it as an opportunity. And so the blame game begins. Mm. Um, so the first thing that I think that really needs to be done is to be very clear. All of us want a person, the teams, and performance. And so let's create a social contract of what this really means and put it under our KPI. Unfortunately, uh, I never see this in KPIs, mm. ever. <laughs> I never see a KPI where an individual states very clearly as an item where they score themselves and other people score themselves. I take full responsibility of being a very healthy individual. I take full responsibility of being a great team member. And third, I take responsibility of bringing my best performance to work. And I measure on that never and the same thing with leaders, I take responsibility for creating, uh, being healthy, creating the right conditions in the environment and making sure I bring my, we don't see in uh, KPIs like that at all, do we? Yeah, um, Audrey? yeah not at all. Yeah. Okay. And that's the only three things we need to have. La. Mm. <laughs> Uh, so, Hetal, practical advice on what uh, leaders and um, individuals can do uh, to manage stress in the workplace. Do you have any advice? All right. Okay, so number one, contract with each other because it's an interaction. Mm -hmm. Number two, the job of a leader is to eradicate pain. So just listen to your data, listen to what people are telling you. And your primary job is to eradicate not just the pain, but the suffering. All these unnecessary things that people experience consistently over a period of time mm -hmm. that you can actually eradicate. Things like 
you know, consistently we see workload is extremely high. Consistently we see there's tight deadlines. If it's constantly a problem, right, just really sit down and fix it as a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, from an individual perspective, uh, all the research points to a couple of things. Yeah, Number one, your belief in whether or not stress is going to be helpful or harmful for you is everything. Yeah. So I think for individuals, sitting down and really becoming upskilled in understanding how to make stress work towards your favor. I'm not saying tolerate it, but how do you use it to make sure that you grow in a way that is helpful for you? That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, a lot of research actually states as well that uh, the best way to alleviate your stress, to reduce it significantly is to actually help somebody else. Hmm. So that's really, really counterintuitive because stress really creates a lot of adrenaline. And the only way that adrenaline becomes good for you or works for you in your favor is if you also experience love. And the best way to experience love is not to beg and ask for it, but actually to give it to someone. Hmm. And um, you get 30% of all the harm on your body immediately released just by helping someone else. Hmm. I really love this other thing about humor as well. Um, And in a lot of very, very notoriously difficult conditions, research suggests that like, so for example, in a lot of Irish communities where the war just didn't end for long periods of time, humor was utilized as a way, as a coping mechanism and as a way to immediately reduce the harms of stress. And so from individual perspective, I would definitely say, number one, upskill yourself. Um, I don't think when we were born, right, we ever said to ourselves, it is the job of our bosses or the job of our organization to make sure that we are well. Of course. We never said that. Yeah. So number one, go and upskill yourself. Don't wait for your organization to organize it for you. Number two, Caring creates resilience. So when you give love, it comes back and really, really supports you, especially in difficult times. It's very counterintuitive. And number three, um, definitely sign up for as much stand-up comedy (laughs) or at least find a way to have a good laugh about and find the humor in something quite tragic or difficult that you're experiencing. Right. yeah, so I really hope this helps. Right. All right. Thank you so much for that, Hetel. Now, if our listeners would like more information on what we've just discussed or uh, they'd like to get in touch with you, uh, Hetel, is there a website that they can go to? Absolutely. So please feel, please do reach out to us at www.o-psych.com or just connect with me directly on LinkedIn uh, where we're super active and we just love our interactions with um, our listeners and also our clients. Right. I've been speaking with Hetel Doshi, organizational psychologist and CEO of Osight. Now, if you missed out on any part of this show, you can go look for the podcast on our website, bfm.my. It should be up within the hour. You can also find all our podcasts, including last month's episode on how to make work suck less on the BFM app, available now on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. Just go look for Resource Center. You can even search for Hetel Doshi and you'll find our podcast over there and that's a wrap for me for now Uh, you have been listening to Resource Centre BFM 89.9Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9.
the business station.